Well, we've been making our way through Genesis, and we end up now in, uh, in chapter 24 today. Chronologically, we're in the last week of Jesus' life before, he is, uh, before his crucifixion. We're probably in, in Wednesday, uh, most likely. Uh, could be Thursday of that week. Jesus has, for his last time, has confronted the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that have, uh, that have been hindered, that are standing in the way of the people uh, seeing Christ and accepting Christ as their Savior. He's also now walked across. He's left the temple, the Temple Mount area, and he's walked across the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and he's sitting up on a hill on the side of Mount Olives, uh, looking back down and across uh, Kidron Valley to Jerusalem and looking upon Jerusalem, most of it, and the temple and part of the temple area as he looks down. And there as they sat down, the disciples ask him the questions. And we landed up last week with verse 14, which says, Jesus was sharing with them and said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations. And then he, he finishes that statement with, this, with these words, And then shall the end come. And then shall the end come. And with, with these profound words, Jesus begins answering the two questions that the disciple asked him. I drew a line. I've got a line in, in my Bible from, from the end down to verse 3. Because the questions the disciples ask him is, when is what's going to be the signs of, of your return? And what's going to be the signs of the end of the age? And so now Jesus is responding to that. And we're going to pick up this morning in verse 15. It says, When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And then Jesus with parentheses says, you need to understand what I'm saying to you. Okay, and the writer here says, let him who reads understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to get his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child in those days and are nursing. But pray ye that your fight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Jesus then with these words, and then shall the end of the age come. Then Jesus begins saying that there's going to come a time on the earth which the world has never seen the likes of, nor never will. Now, the world, as we look back and, and look over history, and a lot of you are history buffs out there, and I, I love that. As you look back, we can see that the world has known some pretty dark times. There have been some pretty uh, dangerous, some pretty scary, some pretty uh, situations that, that have been horrible, horrific, that you never think could happen. But Jesus says that, there's, that they're going to get worse, and there's nothing that's ever been that's going to be able to compare with what's ahead. And he uses this term in verse 15. He says, when you uh, when, uh, shall see the abomination 
of desolation are the, are the, dec, uh, the desecrating sacrilegious things, the sacrilegious object that becomes a desecration, I think is what, if you've got a New Living Translation, it says there. This sign that Jesus was referring to, and it goes back to Daniel, I believe is, is a reference to uh, a person that's going to come onto the scene and uh, in the world scene, a very prominent way. And there's different names that, that is used to refer to this person, the Antichrist, or the son of perdition, or the lawless one. There's others, and we will look at it. But Jesus refers his disciples back, and they would have been very familiar with the prophet Daniel. And of course, we have the same access to the same, to the same prophecy and, and Daniel. And so Jesus is referring him back to, to the book of Daniel. And it's, um, it's the sign of a man who offers himself up to be worshiped instead of God. We're going to look at a few scriptures in Daniel. If you'll go with me to Daniel chapter 8, we're going to begin there. Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. Daniel says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences will stand up. And his power will be mighty, not by his own power, and he will destroy wonderfully and will prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, he'll cause craft to prosper in his hand and he'll magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true, Therefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. God's telling Daniel, these things are not going to happen right now. It's going to be a good while before they take place. Daniel, when he, when after, the whole, after God has spoken to him, Daniel faints, 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 he faints. And he was, uh, he, was, uh, he was troubled for several days. Then he rose up and went about the king's business. But he was astonished uh, at what God had showed him and the understanding of it. Now, there have been a lot of, there, there's a lot of critics. Matter of fact, of the Old Testament books, besides Genesis, maybe Daniel may be one of the ones that's criticized the most. I remember taking an Old Testament course, and the instructor, when it came to Daniel, the instructor, very, very, uh, very liberal and very, uh, uh, just said to us, hey, hey, uh, you know, a lot of people attribute Daniel to hundreds of years uh, before Christ, but there's no way that could be so because there's no way that he could have known what was going to happen. So he had to have lived later and just reported on it. And I just think to myself, you, you don't know the God that I know because the God that I know is able to, to uh, tell and show and which he did to his prophets. And uh, so as Daniel is foretelling this time that's going to come and the prophet, some, some critics say, well, this was fulfilled in around AD one, or BC 165, maybe a 165 to 168, somewhere in there, 150 years before Christ was born, when a Syrian king named Antichrist, and I probably can't say Epiphanes, went to the temple in Jerusalem. And on the altar in Jerusalem, Antichrist uh, offered a hog or a pig as a sacrifice, it was, it was a pure desecration of the, of the Jewish temple, knowing how the Jews see a swine as unclean. And he offered this pig 
as a sacrifice on the altar in the temple. And then he erected a statue of Jupiter to be worshipped in Jerusalem. And so some of the, the, the liberal critics would say, hey, this is what Daniel was referring to. It took place. But I, I just, I have a problem. Matter of fact, it's just nothing but a lie, and I'll tell you why I know that. Because Jesus now speaking, 150 years after Antiochus went into the, to the temple and desecrated it, Jesus, 150 years later, is referring us back to Daniel, and he's saying, hey, this is still to come. When you see this happen, I'll take Jesus' word, and I'll take Jesus, uh, uh, what was the word, where's Jennifer this morning? What was the word, first service? Endorsement of Daniel, that we need to, to know and see and know what's going on. All right? He's speaking, Jesus is speaking, he tells him this. Also in Daniel, go with me in Daniel to chapter 9, and there's a, there's a couple of verses in Daniel 9, 26, and we talk about this is part of Daniel's vision of the 70 weeks, uh, the prophecy of 70 weeks. It says, after three score and two weeks, or 69 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end shall thereof be with a flood. And until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant for many with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he'll make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. In Daniel's prophecy of, of 70 weeks, as Gabriel is explaining it to Daniel... Gabriel tells Daniel that God has marked off a period of 490 years, 70 weeks of, of years, which would begin or which you could start with when, uh, when the Persian king would issue a decree to the Jews who had been in captivity. And when he would issue a decree now for them to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And indeed, King Artaxerxes did, uh, did this. And he said this would, be, would end then with the abomination of desolation. For Gabriel then says that, and then he goes back, then this, and he, he talks about 69 weeks. And indeed, for 483 years from the time of the decree that was sent then to the crucifixion, of Christ to the end, to the Messiah shall be cut off. It's referring to the crucifixion of Christ. And at that point, what, uh, what a lot of people, I think what God was, was, and what God wants us to understand when he said, hey, let the he who reads understand what's saying here. These, this is talking about a period of time that God is dealing with Israel. And indeed he has been in Jesus. We've just seen Jesus as he, as he, came declaring himself with signs and wonders and miracles, fulfilling hundreds of scriptures and prophecies about the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer, the one who would come to save. And God sends him and Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I'm him. And everything he does is to point them and to open their eyes and let them see that, it, that he is the one that God promised. But then with his crucifixion, it's almost like a timeout, if you allow me to say it that way, a timeout in history. 
Because now from the resurrection, from the crucifixion and resurrection has been a time, uh, we call it the Gentile age, when God has, when the church, neither Jew nor Greek, when God has opened up and is dealing with the world and bringing in his kingdom and a tremendous harvest of souls. And we see that. But there is coming another seven-year period, which would be the 70th week that God will deal, and, and it, it, a lot of times this is referred to as a tribulation time. And indeed, what Jesus is saying to what Daniel is saying is that in that, in that, in that 70th week, in that 70th week, in the middle of those last seven years, three and a half years, 42 months, you can read this several places there, in the middle of that, this, this person is going to go into the temple, is going to stop the Jewish worship, and he's going to set himself up as God to be worshiped as God. There's one final passage from Daniel we need to look at before we kind of talk some more, and that's Daniel chapter 11. It says, and the king shall do according to his will. Now, when you see this king here, it's a little K, that's referring to the, the person that is to come, this man that is to come. It says, when you see the king do whatever he wants to, he'll exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. He'll speak marvelous things against Jehovah God, and he'll prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that's what's been determined. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he will set himself up as God above all other gods. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the, in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. <clears throat> and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. As Daniel is, is over and over again, as God is revealing these to Daniel in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, and go back, and it's, 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 it's important and Jesus, that's why Jesus said, you need to understand what Daniel's talking about. But I believe it's the, it's the same man that, that we see in the New Testament. <clears throat> Paul writes about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says this. Don't let anybody fool you. For that day, last days, shall come except there first come a falling away. This is what we talked about last week, the great apostasy, Okay. And then that man of sin, this is two, work, two, two, what do they call these apostrophes here? That man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that's worshiped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he's God. I believe it's the same man Daniel is referring to. I believe it's the same man that Daniel refers to, that Paul refers to, that John writes about in the book of Revelation chapter 13. Look at this. In, John, in Revelation 13, we read, and, and there was given unto uh, this person a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue for three and a half years or 42 months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed me against God to blaspheme his name. 
and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And even before John writes, and even before Paul writes, I believe that Jesus himself, I believe that the man that Daniel is referring to is a man that Jesus was referring to in John chapter 5. When, when they had re, were rejecting him, look at what he says in John 5, 43. <clears throat> he said, I'm come in my father's name. And to the Jewish people as a whole, he was saying, you do not receive me. He, you won't accept me. You won't accept that I'm God. You won't accept that I'm Messiah. If another shall come in his own name, look at this. Jesus says, you'll receive him. Isn't that strange? I believe this is referring to the man. Now, there's a couple things that's, that's obvious to me. One is we talk about this, and Jesus says, when you see this man set himself up in the temple, stop in the worship. Daniel says, stop in the worship. Jesus said, setting himself up and exalting himself as God in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the first thing that, that I think about is, uh, okay, there's no Jewish, there's not a temple there on the Jewish mount now. There's, a, there's, a, there's an obstacle. There is a, a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. And many of you, some of you have probably been there and been down. You can take tours down in that. And, and this is the place where God told Abraham, take your son and offer him there. This is a place where God designated that, uh, that, his, that his people would offer their sacrifice. But there's a problem there. Now, I believe, this is me. I believe that uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But something is going to happen, and I believe that there will be a Jewish temple built, rebuilt in that area. When it's going to happen, I don't know. How quickly it can happen is probably amazing. But I believe that will take place because Jesus says, when you see the man sitting in the temple and claiming to be God, know that the end is near. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy says that in the middle of that week, this man is going to set himself up then, and he will desecrate the Jewish temple, and he will set himself up as God. And this is the second, I don't say problem, but this is a second obstacle that I see, uh, because I, I, I read this and I think, man, yeah, people, people aren't going to accept somebody being God. I mean, it ain't no better than that. But then I look, and I look, the table, I believe the table has been being set for centuries, for, for this to take place, preparing the world for this radical change. Man making himself God. The humanistic philosophy has been around a long, long time. Matter of fact, Paul, writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, says this. And I've asked Craig to put this up both in King James and New Living. King James says, for the mystery of iniquity... Doth already work. In other words, he's at work now. Only he will, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And I read that as to say that there is a restraining force called, I believe, the Holy Spirit of God through the through his people and through the church, that there is there is still this restraining force, but there's going to come a time when God's going to say, okay, 
Now go to it. Look at what New Living puts it this way. Paul's saying this. He's saying, for this lawlessness, Paul was writing this now, first century after Christ. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. And I'm just going to tell you that I believe that the, that the veil is already being lifted and we're seeing this, that the idolatry of man, the idolatry of man has been building up for centuries, but we will be able to see the conclusion of that when this man, when man pushing God out of the way, we, we see it, we see it today, we see the, the, the world as we talk of the world system pushing God aside and replacing him with themselves. It's not that, you, that God can meet the needs, it's we can meet the needs. It's more and more man saying, hey, we have the answers. We can figure it out. We can do all this. The world seems to be able to handle a bit of God, but not a big God. And I just want to tell you, I serve a big God. The world, the world system, man wants to be able to make his own rules. Man wants to be able to exist for his own glory. And when that happens, we saw last week and we talked about, when that happens, the end result is emptiness. The world, like a mirage, holds out the promise of peace. There's no peace without forgiveness. The world holds out mirage of happiness. The, whole, the world holds out mirages of things that will satisfy. And when you pursue the world's invitation, and when you arrive, you arrive to the realization that all it was was a mirage, that there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no reason without Jesus Christ. And God knew that, and Jesus knew that. But man, in making himself man, is preparing the world. And we see this meaningless. We see this, what was the word, the, the word I talked about last week, this meaninglessness. We see this emptiness. And we see as a result of this, I believe, the increase in lawlessness, the increase in, a, in the abandoning of moral boundaries, the increase in suicide. When you get there and there's nothing there that was promised and you realize you've, you've bought a lie, you've bought into a lie, and you've denied everything that was true. And for some, they, they just they take their lives. As we look at this, Jesus sitting there that day on the Mount of Olives, knowing that the cross was waiting for him, that the completion of God's plan is going to be soon, knowing that, that the end of the 69 weeks of Daniel is in a matter of a few days, but seeing this period of time, which we live in right now, of grace and of opportunity, Jesus seeing this looking across the centuries and looking down today. And I, no wonder scripture says that he looked out on Jerusalem and with tears running down his face, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times would I have gathered you like a, like a hen does the baby chicks, but you wouldn't have anything to do with me. And today, looking out on the, on the, on the hearts, the hurt, the hurting hearts, the emptiness, the frustration, the lies, the meaninglessness of men and women, boys and girls, and Jesus looking down across time, seeing us with tears in his eyes. 
as we near the times that Jesus speaks of, I think that we will, I believe that we will see things continually intensify on the world scene and worsen. Yet I want to tell you that the darker the days, the brighter the light. And the light of the gospel, he tells us in verse 14, he, and he tells us that there's going to be a testimony of those that endure. There's a testimony that's going to be to the glory and power of God. And there's going to be a tremendous harvest of men and women, boys and girls, that Jesus is bringing into his kingdom. And as we see this happening, I believe that the invitation of Isaiah 55.1, I was reading this this week and I was thinking, I thought, man, Isaiah 55.1 looks good to me. Look at Isaiah 55.1. I remember, remember memorizing this chapter when the Kennersleys were here. One of the chapters, they encouraged the church to memorize Isaiah 55. Ho, I, and I like ho. That's like, hey, stop, listen up. Ho. Maybe I like, I don't know, ho, ho. I'm not going there. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And he's it's not got any money. Come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, you look at that and you say, man, how, how, can I, how can I buy that without money? Because obviously as we look at this, and as you read Isaiah 55, and he's talking about his ways are higher than our ways, it's obvious that, that God is telling the prophet Isaiah, there is, a, there is food, there is spiritual food that people are thirsting and starving to death for. And they can't buy it with all the money in the world because it could only be purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he did that. And in doing that, he is offering to all who will receive him living water. You remember the when Jesus in John chapter 4, when Jesus went to Samaria? And boy, I like this story. And, and here's this Samaritan woman that come to, bought, to, to get some water. Disciples gone into town. Jesus sitting there at the well. Remember the story? And, and uh, they get to talking. I love that. Jesus just talks. He just meets people where they are to bring him where he is, right? Maybe you're here this morning, and Jesus is saying to you, hey, I'm going to meet you where you are, but I'm going to bring you where I am. I'm not going to leave you thirsty. I'm not going to leave you at a well with an empty bucket. Jesus said to the woman, she, he's, she's talking to him about water, and he said, man, if you'd ask me, I'd give you water that you'd never thirst again. And she said, how can you do that? You ain't got a bucket to draw from. And, and look at what he says in verse 14. I love this. He said, whosoever drink of the, the water that I'll give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into I, I, everlasting life. I, I, I think that's one of them artesian wells. Isn't that what that is? Isn't an artesian well one that when you, when you tap into it, 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 you don't have to pump it up. It just gushes out, right? I, I love that. Now just think about that. I just, I just love this picture. And Jesus is saying to a woman who has tried, who, who has wanted, tried to find love all the wrong places. She's wanted someone to care for her. She's wanted someone to just let her know she is important, to give her a purpose. And she's been married, I don't know how many times, four or five times. And now she's living with a man. Relationships has not satisfied that. Let me tell you, there is only one relationship that will satisfy the longing in your heart. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be blessed. I love it. I saw Libby and Bob. I saw Libby waiting on him out there in the service. He's been here both service 54 years. 
And, that, and, and Larry had said it well, the blessings of, of uh, and, and Joe and Linda, we sung to them Wednesday night out there. What was it, 34, 44? 43, yeah. I, I like to get in trouble. I think I asked Joe and, and Linda correct them. I don't know. There's one of them there. But these, the relationships are wonderful. And a good spouse is wonderful. A good friend is hard to find. A, a person that will just accept you for who you are and, and love you and tell you the truth. When they think you need a kick in the rear end, they'll kick you. When they think you need correction, they'll say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, those kind of friends are important. And they just keep loving you. But I want to tell you, you can have those, but there's no friend. There's no friend like the relationship that you have in Jesus Christ. Scripture calls him one that sticks closer than a brother. Okay? And Jesus is saying to this woman there in in Samaria, he said, when you taste this water that I have, he said, You may get thirsty physically. You may need a drink of water. You may need a glass of milk. You may need a cup of coffee or tea. But he said, I want to tell you, there is a spiritual spiritual, uh, part inside of you that you're going to have this well of water springing up. Now, in closing, I just thought about this. I was reading this, and I thought about Isaiah 55, and I thought about Aslan. Now, Aslan's the little fellow that that Barbie has the opportunity of taking care of part of the time. We just... He stole her hearts. He's five months old. And she's been keeping him for, I don't know, two months, two and a half months. But um, Aslan will let you know kind of when he's hungry, okay? And uh, Barbie will fix this bottle. Now, that fella can gulp it down. She, she put that bottle close to him, and she, he will gulp it down. Because, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I'm wondering, who taught him to, to nurse like that? Who taught him to drink like that? And, and, I, and I'll just tell you. I remember when, we, when our two children were born, when, when Paige was born and Zach was born. And when Paige was born, the first one, I remember nobody came into the room and said, uh, uh, Barbie, we need to take your, your baby. We're, we've got an hour's course in teaching them how to drink. And we're going to take this newborn baby to teach them how to drink. Well, they'd have had a fight on their hands, first of all, uh, if they'd tried to take that baby away from Barbie. But they, you know what they do? They brought the baby to Barbie and, the, and nobody had to teach the baby how to drink. They put them next to mom, and they went to drinking. You know, I think it's significant that receiving, we don't have to be taught how to receive. Jesus Christ said, whosoever receives me will have a gift of living water that you'll never thirst again. In the days in which we live, and as we approach the end times, and that Jesus is talking about the end of the age, it's, it's, it's exciting. Do, do, you can do research. I remember when I preached through the book of Daniel, uh, I remember doing a lot of research with this, with this 69 weeks, with this 490 years from the decree to when the Messiah would be cut off. It's, off, it's interesting. And there, you might find a few different opinions, but let me tell you this. To those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and know that they know that they've been saved and have a relationship with him, you will find no disagreement, if they've really drank from that well, they'll tell you to taste and see that there's no other water in the world that can compare with his living water. Do you know him? Do you know him? It was so exciting to me, first service. I had a young fellow, and he's been coming three or four weeks with grandparent. He went home last week, and he told his mom, his mom's working, and praise the Lord for single parents. I 
It was everything Barbie and I could do together. And, and, and I know that, and it's hard, but, but to imagine, I know some of you are doing it as a single parent. He went home and he told his mom, he said, Mom, I know you have to work. I know you've been having to work Sundays, but I want you to do something so you can go to church with me. And I met Jill this morning when she came in with, with her son. And we talked, and it was just around my heart. Before service was out, Jill had drank from this living water and accepted the Lord. His, his offer. This is the Jesus that loves you. This is the Jesus that looked with tears in his eyes as he shared the things that are yet to come. Because he knew that there's still men and women and boys and girls that need to drink of him and know him. If that's you this morning, it's my prayer that today you will drink deeply and let that artesian well start springing up. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come to, to just a conclusion of the, of the time together this morning in your word, uh, surely it's something that as we look and we realize the Holy Spirit that we want to know, we want to understand, we want to be wise, we want to be understanding, discerning of the times we don't want to be deceived. And Lord, we, we want to walk wisely there. But this we know that through all of this, we see your heart and your love. And it's a heart of love. And it's a heart of compassion. And it's a heart of sacrifice that Jesus Christ would die on the cross in my place for my sins so that I could accept his forgiveness. My Father, if there are those here this morning that's never tasted of you, maybe they've heard about you, maybe they know about you, maybe they've tried to, to get close to you by going to church or by doing good things, but there's just still something that's missing. Father, I know and you know it's that relationship with you. You want that, them to taste of that living water. It's, it's something that when the woman of Samaria believed in, she forgot her water pot at the well and went back into the town telling people, come out here and see this man that's told me everything I've ever done, and yet he loves me. And a revival broke out. Father, it's my prayer this morning that those here that have never accepted you as your Lord, as their Lord, would do that this morning. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, and you, you sense the, the, the whole, something pulling you toward Christ, that's the Holy Spirit that's drawing you. And I would encourage you just to pray a prayer. Maybe say, God, I'm, I'm thirsty for that kind of water. I'd love to take a drink that would satisfy all those things in my life. I need you. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me? And Lord, would you satisfy me with your water as I walk through life with you? And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you just to raise your hand and put it back down and say, hey, I prayed that prayer with you this morning. Would you pray for me as I continue? Any other hands? See that one? Others? See that hand? Others this morning? It's so awesome. God loves you so much. I can't tell you how much he loves you. Matter of fact, when it comes to that, Scripture says that the best thing God could do was just demonstrate how much he loves you by letting Jesus die for you. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. I know that there may be others 
that for some reason Satan is either telling them not now, later, or he's, just, or he's doing something. Maybe, maybe he's lying to you and say, you've done too many bad things. It can't be that simple. You've got you to gotta do penance. You've got to do this. Friend, that's a lie. You'll never be, do enough good stuff. That's why Jesus came. So if, if you're one of the ones that Satan's been lying to and you're just trying to figure out, yes, I've gotta, I'm going to have to figure this thing out. No, you don't. Jesus figured it out for you. Maybe you would right now just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to act on what I believe God's doing in my heart this morning. And so by faith, I don't understand this, but by faith, the pastor is saying, it don't, I've not done too many, I can't do too much bad that you'll forgive me. And I don't have to do so much good before you'll do that. So I need to ask you in my life right now. I don't understand it, but I will receive it just like a little baby that nurses up next to mom and begins to to nurse. I want to drink of your life. Mm. Father, I thank you for these that have talked with you. Not only talked with you, but these that have opened their hearts now for a relationship, a living relationship with you. And I pray that you'd be an encouragement to them in Christ. Amen.